0: I said we're gonna have a good day, hey.
1: Welcome to
2: Rise with Emily and Audra. I'm Dr. Emily McRae. And I am Dr. Audra Rankin. We are educators, healthcare providers, and mothers who view the world as an unlimited learning opportunity. Rise is a podcast that highlights
1: how we learn from the experiences and stories of others to create new perspectives
2: that improve our own work. Listen with us, think with us, learn with us. And along the way, be inspired to rise up above your day-to-day.
0: All right, this really shouldn't come as a surprise. Knock us down a thousand times in the mornings we will rise. This really shouldn't come as a surprise. Knock us down a thousand times in the mornings we will rise. Okay, shouldn't come as a surprise. Because every morning we will rise.
2: Today on Rise with Emily and Audrey we have Laura Venrup-Poole, the owner of Capital in Charlotte and Brentwood. And Laura, we are just so excited that you are here today. I, as everyone knows, I'm also a North Carolinian and a Tar Heel and have admired your work for so long and your ability to just curate these beautiful experiences for your clients. And I can't wait to learn with you. And I know Emily can either. Um, so thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Can you start by telling us just a little bit about yourself? Maybe a little bit about, you know, where you grew up and what you studied and love to learn more about you. Yeah,
3: I'm from Charlotte, North Carolina. And Charlotte was a small town in the 70s and 80s. (laughs) My dad was he was a lawyer, but always involved in politics and was on the city council for 10 years and was the mayor for several years and ran for governor. And I after uh, public school education all, all through s- school here in Charlotte ended up needing to get out of town because I was worried, I told my mom that I would become a pregnant heroin addict. I was so, <laughs> I was, uh, I just couldn't take the pressure of, um, <laughs> you know, well, I, I couldn't take the pressure of every day coming to class and the teacher saying things about my dad or, you know, it's just a really, there were a lot, felt like there were a lot of eyes on me. And so I got it in my head that I wanted to go to, Phillips Academy to Andover and um, outside of Boston, went there and had a, an incredible experience. And still, they're all of my best friends now, uh, all over the world. Um, I came back and went to Chapel Hill, worked on one of my dad's gubernatorial campaigns, and I was at Chapel Hill. I had a really hard time funneling back in with everybody I'd grown up with because I felt like I'd gone through something sort of major at Andover and, and experienced all these things. And I felt like I was different or I felt like I, I had changed and maybe I just didn't fit in with them anymore. And so after my first year at Carolina, I dropped out and did a Noel's semester uh, in the Southwest, Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, Mexico, three months, three showers in three months, did a semester at Penland, which is an artist colony in the mountains of North Carolina. Yeah. And it really changed my life. And I came back to Carolina. I dropped out of the sorority. I sort of I became an art major and really became myself. And I think also one thing that was really, I've been thinking about it recently, coming back, folding back in, being a year behind, my original class was really helpful for me because I just felt like I could do whatever. I, I mean, I just didn't feel like I was behind. I felt like I was actually just on my own. Yeah. I had a concentration in painting and just had an incredible experience. I had a professor named Marvin Saltzman, who's 95 years old, who was my mentor, who really believed in me, not that I was a great artist, but just that I was maybe a good person that could, you know, being an art major, it's really doesn't sound like it, but it's weirdly hard in that you have charrettes every day, every week. So you have to defend your work and every mark you've made on every piece of work every single day. And so you get really good at being intentional, I think, about what you're doing and why. So I graduated and worked on my dad's three... He had two two or three failed gubernatorial campaigns, but traveled all across the state, 100 counties, and had an incredible experience doing that. And also felt so lucky to be able to... You know, We didn't have a family business, but to be able to work with my dad for a year was really special got married, uh, eloped in the middle of that, to the chagrin about my family. It was a little surprising, but I didn't I didn't want to have a wedding with 800 people. My husband's 11 years older than I am, and um, it was controversial, but it was, the. I mean, it was just the two of us. It was the best thing I've ever done. And we moved to Charlotte. He wanted to go, this is a long-winded answer, but he <laughs> wanted to go to architecture school in Charlotte. There was a professor he wanted to work with here. So moving home was really humbling since I'd left at 15, it felt like there was so much opportunity, but not a lot of places to meet those opportunities. And yeah, I've always loved clothes, but it's not like that. I mean, I would really love vintage shopping. I really loved helping my mother's friends feel more confident. So I was always good with older women, you know, fixing their scarves and sort of fixing them and That was my gift, I think, and then and and having the experience in art school, I think I was good with tactile things. I was good with color. I was good with proportion. But it wasn't like I was like so into clothes. It was more that I felt like you know you had Bank of America based here, Wachovia was based here, NASCAR. It's a it was it's a city of a million people, and every and these women were the oftentimes the women that I knew were traveling with their husbands to Paris for or you know to. Davos or, you know, all these things. And they had to shop in New York. And I had grown up that way too. You know, it was a, that was such, that was the thing. You, you bought your shoes at Bob Ellis in Charleston. You went to New York once or twice a year. It just wasn't good enough for me. And I think I had grown up in this family with my dad who, and all of these people of that generation that were building Charlotte, I think that always believed that Charlotte, we could do it ourselves. You know, that we could become this city and we could make it ourselves. And so I, I sort of had a little bit of that in me and thought, I'm just going to do it. And I with zero money from anybody, I just sort of made it up. I mean, I didn't make it up. Harry and I, my husband and I made it up. He built it with me. we We did literally every single thing. I was the first and only employee for several years. And I didn't have any background in it. I mean, it wasn't something that enclosed nor in business. I mean, I'm an art major. Uh, so I was, I became good at knowing what I really couldn't do and, and hiring or help having people help me do it. Like a great accountant, great bookkeeper. And then it just built it along the way. I don't know if that was that, (laughs) that was a
2: long answer. (laughs) No, I am and where I'm from. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and you know, I, I was laughing to myself when you were talking about eloping. So I grew up in a small town. In Eastern North Carolina, and we, for years, did this weird thing where rather than sending out wedding invitations, you put it in the um, local newspaper. I know, you everybody got invited. Yeah, you probably got invited <laughs> to um, some of those. But my parents were like, "Please do something different. Like, do not have it here." <laughs> <You know? laughs> sorry, I can appreciate what you all did. But I, another thing that you said that you know kind of struck me is that. I had a very similar experience growing up in a small town and it was before online shopping. So if you had a special event, whether it's the prom or, you know, graduation, whatever it may be, it really kind of demanded a trip outside, uh, you know, my town. And so I loved hearing about how you came up with the idea of capital. But I'm wondering, like, what made you just take the leap? Because you know, we often come up with these ideas or we see a gap in the market or, you know, and know that maybe there's a niche, but what made you decide to go for it?
3: I think being 24 is the first thing. Because <laughs> <laughs> when people say like when, when i in market, when I meet new new designers and they're like, how long has this store been in business? I'm like, 25 years. And they're like, how old are you? <laughs> You're 24. I think it's that gumption, but I think truly my husband is, is the biggest key to it because I think, and not that he he didn't know what he was doing. He didn't, it it wasn't that he did it for me. It was that he believed in me and he, you know, because I think one of the things I really learned was when you have a dream, when you have a goal, I guess it's sometimes not the right thing to share it with people because you're rarely going to get the answer you want or the support that you want. (laughs) Or I didn't, in my experience, it's also, it's like, when you have a baby, don't ever tell people what you're naming the baby because they're like, oh my God, I had a teacher named that. I hate that name. <laughs> so, I, so I think I said it several times, to- you know, just so. And, I, and my friends actually laugh about it now too. And my parents too, that, you know, when I told them we were doing this or this is what I wanted to do and Perry and I, Perry and I wanted to do this, they were like, oh, you know, that, I know that sounds kind of crazy or that doesn't, I don't think that'll work here. I think if, you know, if you have strong enough, I don't know, strong enough feeling about it inside, then then you'll make it. And if you're 24, you'll have a better chance, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I think, I, I mean, Perry asked me all the time, like, would you do it again now? I mean, I think I, I, think I would. And I think, I, and, I, and I probably will. I mean, I'm sure this is not my last thing I'll do.
2: Yeah, that's great.
3: Laura,
1: hearing you talk about your passion and building a team has been, real. I mean, it's just really inspirational. I, I think we could talk a lot about just that. But also, your store in Charlotte has this amazing atrium and vertical garden designed by yet another team member, a botanist, Patrick Blanc. And much like the clothes in Capitol, Audra and I are just struck by the beauty and the unexpected like the vertical garden in the middle of all these ball gowns. <laughs> so, so in an industry that's so fast-paced and one that I'm maybe not all that well versed in, you have you have found a way to create an escape and an a welcoming environment for for everyone. So I'm just curious, where do you get your inspiration for these unexpected surprises that create an invitation for the older women that you mentioned or anybody coming in to slow down and just savor that experience.
3: Well, I think that that's being Southern, honestly. And I think that it's also going to school up North and spending a lot of time in, in New York and in Europe and California and go, and I have always been a shopper. I've always enjoyed a retail experience. And um, I never really understood why it was not warmer, more welcoming, more generous, because it is, it, it should be. I mean, you're you're inviting people to experience these beautiful things. And yeah, I, I think it's just, I've always thought about it as a, a generous experience and an exchange and a, a relationship. And I think the other thing is that I didn't, and, I, and I've thought this the whole time, you know, this was not about selling a bunch of clothes today. This is about having relationships with clients for life. I want to help them for their wedding and for their bapti- the baptism of their, of their child and for the funerals that, you know, that we all go to in the South. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that I, I, if this is about clothes, then this is not very interesting to me. It really has to be about relationships with people because I, I mean, clothes are sort of boring. <laughs> <laughs> but people are not boring at all. You know, people are not and, and people's lives are rich and interesting and full and they change. And it's something that I, for me personally, but also it was something I started to understand with my team, you know, that I would, and, and this has been a real challenge for me has been hiring. And, and so early on I would, you know, it was just me. And then it was just just it was just, I am one other person. And, and it was typically young women, who loved clothes and I would lose them to getting married and then I would lose them to having children. And so I didn't understand why it kept happening. I didn't understand why we live in a place where it's not encouraged to have both and all and, and all of the messy things together, but, all, but more than anything, to have something that really feeds you personally. Um, you know, I, had, I have an incredible mother, but she always worked and she always did interesting things. And so I had a great example on that, but I didn't, I feel like, and I don't know if it's everywhere, it feels like it's in the South, but that possibly young women are not encouraged to have their own full lives outside of husbands and children. And that was really, really devastating for me, actually, because I would have these amazing young women who just loved the job, were incredible at it. Everybody adored them. And then they'd be like, I'm getting married. Like, oh my God. Okay. what is that, I mean, so? <laughs> and so how do you attract people to a career that is rich enough to fulfill them to want to stay and to want to continue to have these relationships with people. And I think for me, that was the connection for me. That I felt like if this is a real thing, rather than these are cute clothes, (laughs) you know, then, then people, they are fulfilled by that and they are, they want to come back to that. But it's been an incredible challenge. It's been the biggest challenge of my business, but it's also been the most rewarding part of my business because I have, I mean, probably 60% of the women that work with me have children and families.
2: I think that's wonderful. It's probably you're
3: not really supposed to talk about it, right? I I don't know that it's, it's probably controversial to say out loud, but um that's been the real and, and and also one more thing I think the other thing that really started to occur to me maybe 10 or 15 years ago I would get clients would say my daughter is 16 and really wants to intern for you. Can she work for you this summer? And I would say, I mean, don't you think she should be the one asking me that? And then I got really kind of mad about it and I said like don't Don't ask me that if she wants to, she can send in a resume. Well, she's never had a job. I don't really care. What does she do in the weekends? You know, learn how to make resume, learn how to, and and then I would get, and then uh, often the young women would be, I don't know. It was, they, they weren't serious about it. They rolled their eyes when we, you know, asked them to steam things. And so then it became a real mission to me, you know, that I, I just said, I want this to be a place where women, young women leave here. And, this is years ago, know how to write a fax, know how to make a phone call, know how to how to come to work every day, know how to show up and be great every single day. And so that really became part of it as well, is sort of not only having employees, but also training interns, young women to be able to work in the world and to present themselves in, in the right way and in a professional manner.
2: Laura, I love but that. I, <laughs> Go ahead. I digress. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. <laughs> I love that. And I'm just curious, uh, you know, as you're talking, having experienced so many of the members of your team ha- exuding the same Southern hospitality that you do and the generosity and this ability to take something that could be overwhelming or, you know, feel like a lot to process, you know, in terms of walking into the store and looking at these beautiful clothes and saying, all right, I don't know how to navigate this. How do you identify team members that also share your values of this, you know, welcoming, wonderful environment coupled with, you know, this drive to have a career and balance all this thing?
3: I would say it's two things. One, it is, I've never brought a list of questions to an interview. I mean, I just, it's just about, and, and I've also never... Focused on hiring people that have a background in fashion merch or a degree in fashion merchandising. I would prefer a Russian history major. I mean, I want I want people that can talk. I mean, you know, I think about my brother as a doctor, and he he swears the reason he got into medical school at Carolina was because he was a Southern history major, and he was the only person applying that had that background. I mean, I think you have to be able to communicate and and relate and talk to people. Again, it's just not about. It's really not about clothes. I mean, people come in because they have. An event that they are going to, but there's so many things that are part of that event and they're the stepmother and they're, you know, like all the things that right. a human person has to understand. And so we try really hard to hire people that are socially adept, I think. And then the other side of that I would say I think a lot of people don't like the experience in our store. I mean, I think a lot of people say that they are intimidated or people were, you know, you get all the things because you have Yelp. <laughs> right. And I think that I don't know that any person in our store has ever been unwelcoming to people. But I also think that we're not for everyone. Mm -hmm. And I think that's okay. Our clothes are not for everyone. Our experience is not for everyone. And I think being okay with that is really important and and understanding that you can't be everything to everybody. Mm -hmm. So do what you do and do it well. Be kind to everyone, of course, be warm and welcoming to everyone, of course, because that's the human I mean, I think the I think humans want to be that way. I don't think that they want to be rude or unwelcoming, so I, that's their natural instinct. but I think just making I, I don't know i went i went to um one of the most incredible trips i I took was to Jaipur in India to visit some jewelers that we work with. Jaipur is the it's the last place that hand cuts stones and i think 80% of the world's stones are cut in jaipur in india and we were at a place called the gem palace which makes these you know unbelievable all, all the jewelry for the maharajas for the last several hundred years and you go in there and you're upstairs in the atelier and they're having you try on million dollar necklaces and and they're and they're not nobody's like there're no white gloves there's nobody watching you there's no in that experience of just having the freedom to really feel how things feel and, and not have it be about price or value just about like isn't this beautiful isn't this spectacular doesn't this feel amazing on your skin all, all those things i don't know i think that i definitely feel a little bit of that in the store like i don't think everybody has to buy things but I do love for people to come in and appreciate the art that these designers have made. And that's really special to me. Again, it's not about, I don't need to sell everything to every person. I don't really, that's not what it is at all. Mm-hmm. And if it were, it'd be it'd be depressing. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a business, but it, that's just, it, it's. there's so much more joy, sharing joy and beauty with people.
2: I love
1: that. <laughs> I do too. And Laura, I'm sitting here thinking something, just listening to you talk, Do you think that the fact that you spend so much time getting to know your clients and making this an experience for them, something that's about them, do you think that that helps you curate your actual collection that you have or informs who you invest in as a designer or what makes you select one designer over another?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I definitely have My taste level, which is not everybody's taste level. I mean, it's my own thing that I think is beautiful. And I think we all bring all of our past and all of these images of our moms when we were little and what she wore to Easter Sunday, or their pictures of her at the prom, or our beautiful babysitters and their. Corduroys and suede clogs and (laughs) Bermuda sweaters, (laughs) you know, like we all have our references from our whole lives. So we all have our our things that we think are beautiful. But ultimately, for me, I mean, my job as a buyer is to provide things that for my clients to wear that they need for events. It's to it's to to meet their needs. And so there are a lot of designers that I love, but I know that they don't really make sense here. They may make sense in our LA store, and actually, we do have. Some things that they carry that we don't because it doesn't make sense in this this world. I mean, I, I don't know. It's not this. You know, it's it's so funny because sometimes the LA girls will say, "Where do people wear that?" And I'm like, "People wear that to the grocery store here." but <laughs> <laughs> a Bible study, you know, and they're like, "Oh, we don't have that here." But you know, it's so all of it, a hundred percent of it. I mean, I would say a lot of it is my bias and and the thing, my references and the things that I think are beautiful. But I would say really a hundred percent of it is do I have the clients that need this? I mean, that, that would love this and can wear this. Because right. I, I say that often in, in appointments So people say, isn't it, this is our best-selling dress. And like, I my client can't wear that.
1: Yeah. Right? <laughs> I, I, right. I guess, and in follow-up, do you think the fact, I just loved hearing you talk about, you know, trying to find employees with different backgrounds and people that can bring different, you know, suggestions to the table. Do you think that that also helps, inform different styles that, that you bring into the store. Absolutely.
3: And I'll, I'm 50. My my young buyers on my team are always way younger than I am. And so they have different opinions. And I think, yeah, and obviously always wanting to attract new clients that have not been in. And so, sure. But I think also, we also have to stick to what we know and what we do well. I mean, again, I'm not for everybody and the store is not for everybody I I, learning and listening, I mean, that's, those are the most important qualities of a leader, I think, you know, so I'm always learning. I'm always looking at new things, but I really, I also need to reality wise, I I, I need to apply it to my clients' lives and can it work? Can they wear that? This is kind of a silly thing, but I, Albert Elbaz, who is the designer of Long Gun, who, I mean, he was so spectacular. He died of COVID. But he, it was one of our biggest brands for years and years and years. And it was just so special. And he was so special and he loved women. And he did this, and and we sold a ton of gowns of his. And this one season he did these beautiful, beautiful gowns that were sort of that paper bag waist and and kind of came down and, and they were above the ankle. Well above the ankle, Um sort of that Jackie Kennedy '60s silhouette. It was beautiful, but I said to Albert, "I can't. I really can't sell this. I love all these gowns. I can't sell it in the South because you can't wear a gown that is above your ankle to the to a debutante ball, to a to a opera gala, to to a wedding. I mean, it's just not something that we do here. And as chic as it is." we can't do it. And I had to pass on 10 gowns from that season from my best-selling vendor just because it was just... And, he, and, he, and they wouldn't make them longer. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just stuff like that. You know, it's silly stuff. But I think it's also the advantage we have over a department store, say, that has doors all over the country. I, I do think that's a specific thing of the South. And I think that, thankfully, I, I know that because I live here and my buying team is here and, and we all sort of know that that, they, that it's beautiful, but you just can't wear it here. So
2: I think that's so important to know, you know, who you're serving and that influences so many decisions, whether it be in fashion or healthcare, you know, one of the things that you talked about that I want to kind of circle back to is your trip to India and, and just your, your buying trips and your genuine appreciation for travel and beauty. And it, it seems maybe just curiosity about the world and people and relationships and I just love that and I often say to Emily or my my daughters or you know whoever I feel like I try to view the world through a different lens and I think that every opportunity and person is a learning experience and and something that I can you know take something valuable from and and you strike me as like-minded person as someone who views the world through a completely different lens especially when it comes to finding beauty and the unexpected and the way you describe these silhouettes or beautiful jewels or, you know, whatever it may be, just showcases your love of beautiful things and seeing beautiful things in a way that maybe other people don't. So I'm just curious about what you think fostered that curiosity or what what made you start viewing the world that way?
3: I do think it's a Southern thing, actually. I mean, I think we love stories, you know. And my grandmother was from Alabama. She could tell the best stories. (laughs) And so I I think that, I mean, curiosity, I mean, curiosity is the most important, Mm -hmm. the most important thing in the whole world. And so, I mean, once you've lost curiosity, I think you've you've sort of lost everything. But I I grew up in a house that I think my parents are really, they're really fun to be with because they are very curious and they want to know how you got here, like, what was your trajectory? You know, why, why did the, why are you here sort of thing? You know, what was the path that you took and for everybody and from, you know, the, the waiter at the restaurant to, I mean, everybody, that, that's just how I grew up. And so I think it was, I had a great model and, and them, and I've just always loved stories. And so I've, and I've always loved traveling. Another thing I think is pretty interesting is that for example, we have a huge shawl business. We we sell shawls very very well, and we sell we sell um, handmade you know shawls made in cashmere, hand embroidered like and also shawls hand embroidered in Mexico. Um, and so, but seeing, I think a lot of that was from me traveling and seeing how women wore their clothes. And to see how they, you know, wrap their shawls and why they wore shawls and what occasions they did and um, how they carried them and all that and sort of, and modeling that for clients. And and now I mean, we have a bananas shawl business. Like you, you can't even believe, I mean, I have women that have closets, just stack, stack, stacks of shawls because it weirdly really does make sense in the South because there's the air conditioning and there's so many different temperatures and, <laughs> <laughs> and, tra- and travel <laughs> and things like that. But I think again, it's back to that sort of learning and listening and observing and also just respecting other cultures. And uh, I don't know, just, just enjoying discovering beauty in all places. I mean, right. on the subway in Paris, I mean, all, all the everywhere. Yeah. But, but it also, and it's also, it's not, it's not clothes. I mean, it's, it's food. It's the way people hold hands when they walk down the Seine. I mean, it's all you know, just all the things. I don't know. I, I'm, a, I am, absolutely a lover of life and, and, and completely curious about everybody and and everything.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I've thought so much <laughs> about that. I have an eight-year-old and a three-year-old, and one of the mm-hmm. things that I have started to ask them every night at dinner is, "What is one thing that surprised you today?" <laughs> <laughs> because I want to, I want to hear what they're, you know, c- what they've learned and what they're curious about. And it has been so much fun to oh. hear what their answers are um, because they're curious. You know, everybody is curious, but what you pick up on and, and that beauty is so fun. Um, and it, well, it's so fun. much better than Rose and Thorn because I always
3: thought Rose and Thorn was so <laughs> negative. I was like, I know.
2: I, today. I, I mean. know. That's so funny. We start. That's how we started, you know. To you know, because you want to teach your kids about feelings. And I, I thought the same thing. And I was like, This is. Why do we have to talk about the bad things? Like I understand we need to, but what if nothing bad happened?
3: You know. I, I agree. So we made a pivot. <laughs> Laura, I've heard
1: you mention, maybe it was in an interview or one of your podcast episodes, that when you're traveling, you will often spend a few days exploring something that's unrelated to fashion. How does this recharge you? Or do you think that
3: that does recharge you? I mean, I I don't often do it. I always do it. Oh, every time. I love it. Yeah. And and it actually always happened after the recession. We, We almost went out of business in the recession, 2008, 2009. Because as I mentioned earlier, we're based in the the town where Wachovia was based and Bank of America was based and it was devastating. And I really, once we started to travel again and and do our buying again in Europe, I I just said, this could go away in a second and I'm going to appreciate every minute of it. But the other part of it was that I have a 17-year-old daughter and a husband and it was very hard it's one, it's really hard for people to understand what a buying trip is like, but it's it's 10 appointments a day for seven to 10 days. Mm-hmm. And not only that, there are a couple of things, a part of that too, that are interesting. It's also selling yourself in an hour window to a vendor, telling them all about who you are, why you are, what the store's like, why they need to sell to you. And then it's also weirdly, this is kind of a weird part of it every vendor has a different system of writing an order. So it's a completely... It's not like there's a standard way that everybody writes an order. So you have to adjust your brain each time for that as well. Different kind of line sheets, different kinds of... Just the whole thing is completely different. 10 times a day for 7, 10 days. 2 weeks often, actually, because they will do Milan after Paris. And I am... I'm an extrovert, but I am worn af- after it. I mean, I am done. And I'm so done being cute and charming and... <laughs> <laughs> <and> friendly, <laughs> but and, but also but also you know we're we're doing four million dollars worth of purchases you know so it's a it's a huge huge part of our business and it's a serious part of our business it's not there's nothing. Silly or laxadaisical about it. I mean, it's a very focused, very serious time. And so, especially when I had a little person at home, and and even now, when I have a bigger person, but always when I have a husband, it's really hard to to do that sort of concentrated amount of work and to just go home because also you've been away for two weeks and so everybody's really needy about you, everybody needs you and wants you and wants to reconnect with you. and I would just go home and have nothing left to give. And so, I just told my husband, I'm not, I can't do this anymore. I mean, I'm, I'm gonna, and and every single time I go somewhere completely different, mostly in Italy, because we usually end our trip in Italy and Milan. And I just, and I studied in Italy in college. And so I have a love for it, but I'll just go somewhere for two or three days and definitely not do anything fashion related. I mean, I usually just visit churches and, and I usually walk or hike or take cooking classes or any, or sleep or, I mean, any of the things just, getting back inside of myself. And so that when I'm, when I come home, I'm thrilled and and really ready to see everybody and reconnect. I love that. (laughs)
2: <laughs> I do, and, and we hear self care so much, right? That's kind of a buzzword, but what you're describing is truly self care that works, you know, for you, which is is so wonderful and and such a, a great thing to try to apply um, in our own lives. And Emily and I are juggling careers and being mothers, and we often on this podcast try to seek out people who can give us advice who are like-minded, you know, women and and who are trying to break these traditional rules that you talked about of, you know, only choosing to be a stay-at-home mom or only choosing to have a career, but how you blend those two and have a really full life. And so I'm just curious if you have maybe a piece of advice or, you know, one thing that you could share that would just help people who are kind of juggling all those things like we are.
3: Well, I mean, I I just think, I think the main thing is just to remember that things change, men leave, men die. Like I think not building your life around someone else is probably the first thing and, and to have something of your own, I mean, to be able to take care of yourself. And I don't think again, young women in the South are really raised to have that with that idea. Other than that, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm just, I'm coming off, I'm a year out of of breast cancer diagnosis and had a mastectomy this year, reconstruction. So I've had, it was a rough year, but it was the best year of my life. And I think to have six months of being able to convalesce has been really interesting and to be able to reflect. And I don't know, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I definitely in that six months felt like, wow, the last 25 years have really been a blur. You know, and and I don't know how you slow that down. I don't know how you change that. I'm hippie dippy. I've done all the things. I, I meditate. I exercise. I see the hippie doctor in LA. Like, I mean, I've done all the things and it didn't help me from it didn't prevent me from getting <laughs> breast cancer. So I I don't know. I mean, I don't I don't know the answer other than I feel so I think the thing that I came out of this year feeling number one was incredibly, incredibly grateful that I have. The family and friends that I have, I mean, I I just, I can't believe how loved I have felt and cherished and taken care of. But I also think I've never been so grateful for having built a career for myself, you know, for having something to come back to that I'm so excited to do that I I wake up every day excited to do. I mean, that's the biggest gift of the world. I mean, I think if I came off of this and didn't, I I didn't have anything to give back to, I think that would, that would be really, really tough. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, just not building your world around your children and your husband. I mean, that's dangerous. That is definitely going to let you down in some way. (laughs) Again, probably not a popular thing to say, but it's an honest thing to say.
2: No, I I love that. (laughs) I love your honesty. And I think it's so true. And sometimes I think it's hard for us to we don't want to think about situations like that. Right. And we don't want to think about getting sick or someone dying or someone leaving or, mm-hmm. or kids growing up or, you know, but, yeah. but I think that mm-hmm. it's so, so wonderful to think about because it it's empowering to, you know, make something that you're proud of that's yours and not attached to, you know, something else. So, yeah.
3: Well, and also to have had, to have been able to recover for six months and, know that I built a team that was way better at everything that I ever was and to, and to come back to it better than I found it, I mean, better than I had left it is extraordinary and, and a real, real gift. It's a gift.
2: So we like to end our podcast with a couple of rapid fire <laughs> questions. So we ask everybody the same questions and these are just short answer. First thing that comes to your mind. So our first question is, what is your favorite leadership quote or book?
3: I love a, a woman named Sarah Wakeman, and she wrote a book called Reality Based Leadership. And she's out of like Nebraska or something, but I've seen her speak. I've read her book, and all of my team has her book. But <laughs> she's just, it's a real no nonsense kind of no more drama, like show up, be great. That's what you do every day.
1: Okay, I'm gonna have to add that to my reading list. <laughs>
3: yeah, she's great. <laughs>
1: Laura, what is one thing on your wish list related to healthcare?
3: It sounds a little self-absorbed. I've just talked about my breast cancer, but I also, I have celiac disease and I really, really wish physicians were better versed in nutrition. And I wish I'd been tested a long time ago because I was only diagnosed several years ago. And I think that it caused a lot of problems and it was a really simple answer. And then past that, I guess I wish there, there were a cure for celiac. And I wish that people understood it more because I think, you know, you have so many people who are, who are not eating, who are eating gluten-free because they like it and it sort of messes up the people that actually, it's an autoimmune disease that can cause lymphoma. And I mean, it's a, it's a pretty serious disease, but it's a weird disease because you leave the says <laughs> you have, you know, you have celiac and you're like, okay, what next? He's like, that's it. You have, you have celiac. So you just can never eat anything with any weed in mm-hmm. it again you know, goodbye, good luck. <laughs> so it's sort of a, you're on your own. And I think actually, I will say back to breast cancer also, I do think that it was a celiac's pretty lonely and breast cancer was pretty lonely. I mean, It's a pretty mm-hmm. lonely process and maybe just life is lonely. I don't know that maybe you, you ultimately have to go through all of it yourself. It doesn't feel like you have a ton of support sorry. <laughs> I'm sure you're really supportive.
1: <laughs> no, I, I love your honesty. Again, it's it's refreshing to hear You know, <laughs> how we learn and get better.
3: Yeah. And, I no. think, and the nutrition part, you know, I don't, I think physicians like, I mean, my brother, again, is a, he's an ER doc and I think he had one day of nutrition, you know, like I don't, they, there's no, and it's such a, it has been a huge part of my health, you know, just that one simple thing. I wish that Anyway, I wish people knew more about it and and knew about it earlier.
2: Well, and, you know, you're so right, because so often as healthcare providers, we're trained to give a diagnosis and a, you know, list of things that you do to make it better. But particularly now, you know, coming off a pandemic and just everyone being overworked and, you know, trying to squeeze in as many patients as you can, you know, I think the thing that gets lost every visit so often is you know that relationship building and a how yeah. are you feeling and, and how does this yeah. translate to your life, you know, outside of this exam room. And it's something that really impacts your overall health and is something that can easily be forgotten because we're not billing for it and where it doesn't right. directly link <clears> to <throat> our treatment plan and it should. It absolutely well, should. a
3: bit a great bit of advice that my brother had when I when I was twenty four and moved back to Charlotte was He said to find a doctor, to find a GP that was a woman that was my age, so that we could age together and have a lot of the same problems. And and ended up being a friend of mine that I grew up with who went to Andover with me also. And she's been my doctor all along the way. She's a couple of years younger than I am. So I'm having (laughs) I had my perimenopausal like symptoms happen before she did. But (laughs) it's been really, really helpful to have somebody that can relate to things. But that was a great piece of advice that he gave me.
2: And so, what it is. And I, Emily, yeah. I know I feel this way. I'm sure you do too. Like, I'm, I'm, we both work in pediatrics and I'm so much better now that I'm a mother. That you have and children now. Yeah. yeah. And I understand that the advice that I give is just total baloney sometimes and then <laughs> not poop, sometimes, whatever it may be, you know? Yeah. But it, it's so true. It's It's so valuable to have that life experience outside. So, yeah. our last question is, as I've said, we believe in the value of lifelong learning and we want to know if you can learn anything new, uh, what it would be.
3: I mean, I, I think it's all the things it's, you know, Italian, Spanish. <laughs> I like my French to be better. I think it's just more, I would love to never lose my curiosity. You know, I mean, I think it, that's the most important thing. I think once when, when you're they say like, if you if your relationships aren't growing and they're dying, I think if you're not, if you're not still curious, you're, you're not alive. So I think it's that. Cause I, I'd love to learn all the things. I mean, I, <laughs> I'm
2: open to it all. I am too. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. Laura, we have loved um, learning with you today. And I just, my head's spinning right now all the ways that we can talk about how this can, improve healthcare and, you know, the pieces of your interview that relate uh, directly to what we want to do to improve health outcomes in the communities that we serve. So thank you so, so thank much. Thank you. Thanks. I hope it wasn't,
3: I hope it wasn't too fashion heavy and too fashion no,
2: boring. It was, it was <laughs> fascinating. I loved every second. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank y'all. So, so nice to talk to you. So nice to talk to you. Thanks so much. Okay, Emily, let's debrief. I have admired Capital and Laura Van Root Pool for years, and I was so excited to have her on rise with us. I've always stopped to reflect on things that I personally have thought are beautiful, whether it be a hydrangea or a North Carolina longleaf pine or a chili cheese dog, which you know is really my love language. (laughs) But I've recently found myself Looking and seeing beauty and things that are even more unexpected from books to music to building community by sharing a good meal to sidewalk chalk shaped like ice cream cones with my girls. I just believe that there is so much benefit in understanding and also appreciating the richness of the world around you. And I loved that Laura reminded us of that throughout the interview. I agree,
1: Audra, but I have to say that when you floated this idea to me, I was struggling to make a connection. (laughs) On on paper, Laura is a business owner whose business is clothing and accessories. I don't know much about high-end fashion, and at first glance, it didn't seem that there would be much overlap with healthcare providers. And quite honestly, I was really surprised at how much I learned today. I'm
2: glad. You know, I love a pretty dress or pair of shoes. So I was hooked from the beginning. But what I love more than those things is learning from people. And I think that we learned a lot from Laura. One of the overarching themes that I took away from the interview was how her business isn't about the merchandise in the store. And she emphasized that over and over again. She emphasized that her business was really about The people.
1: That's right. And Laura talked quite a bit about being from the South also. She contrasted it with other cultures, both within the United States and internationally. Being warm, welcoming, and generous, inviting people to experience beautiful things, that isn't about clothes. It's about building relationships. She said her business can't only be about the clothes. That is an (laughs) interesting Or maybe not to everybody. It has to be about relationships with people, which could not be more true. And what a great takeaway for us as healthcare providers. Healthcare can't just be about the treatment plan or the latest and greatest technology. It has to be about the people.
2: Absolutely. I loved when Laura talked about developing these lasting relationships with her clients. She said she helps them with weddings and baptisms and funerals. And she just really reminded me that people's lives are rich and interesting, as she said, and they are full and they change. And Laura sees her clients through a lens of interconnectedness with families and communities, and she takes care of the whole person even though as an outsider, maybe even you, Emily, before we interviewed her, assumed that, you know, the business was really only about selling clothes. And Laura taught us and showed this awesome goal, you know, to strive towards. And I think as healthcare providers, you know, a big question for us is, what if we're also in the business of people, of honoring our patients and their wholeness and the connectedness with their families and their communities. To me, it just sounds like an amazing platform for person-centered care and one that maybe we often forget about. Absolutely.
1: Starting with the person and the relationship, I think is crucial to person-centered care. I was also really interested in how Laura curates a collection that is tailored to her client. You know, she mentioned that she does an incredible Shaw business because it just makes sense for her Southern clients. When you go from 100 degrees to 60 degrees in the same day, I guess it really does make sense. (laughs) She also mentioned that she didn't buy dresses from a longtime friend designer because she knew it didn't translate to her clients' lives in the South. She recognized that although some things work in one area, they may not work in another area.
2: That is so true. And I can attest to change in temperatures and what to wear to a Southern wedding but the takeaway here, I think, isn't about floor length gowns or beautiful shawls. It's how we can apply the idea of a curated collection that works for clients to healthcare. So, how often do we prescribe a medication or a treatment that doesn't translate to the patient's lived environment? I thought about this as laura was talking but as a brand new nurse practitioner interested in childhood obesity prevention i was so guilty of this i would say to my patients and their families oh just go buy fresh fruits and vegetables from the grocery store and my families didn't have grocery stores with fresh fruits and vegetables or i would say go outside and play for 60 minutes and they didn't have safe places to play and To translate that back to Laura and her work at Capital, you know, the collection that I was offering in healthcare, it just like Laura, you know, didn't work for a southern wedding or a 40 degree shift in temperatures, I wasn't thinking about my client and what worked for them. And I certainly make mistakes, but I think that this is a mistake that this idea of not taking in the whole patient and even community when providing care, I think it frequently happens in healthcare.
1: For sure. And it's incredible, Audra, how much we have learned over our careers, because I would say that I made similar mistakes along the way. After the interview, I have thought so much about the importance of relationships and curating a plan of care that actually works for our patients, which Again, this is an unexpected connection to a high-end clothing business.
2: <laughs> I thought that Laura also brought up some really interesting points about relationships with her team. And Emily, we talk about this all the time, but so often in healthcare, we're focused on education and training. And we define people by their backgrounds and experiences often to a fault. And I just loved that Laura said she has never brought a list of questions to an interview and has never really required a background in fashion merchandising when interviewing potential members of her team. Now, stick with me for a minute, because obviously we have to have training to perform a variety of skills in healthcare, that goes without saying. But I'm wondering if we can learn from how Laura builds her team and place as much emphasis on how our team members can communicate and relate to people. You know, it's about healthcare, but isn't it also about relationships? That's what we've been saying for the past few minutes. And as we think about our values as a profession, do we give extra points for being welcoming and kind? And if we did, do you think that would change the overall patient experience and maybe our work experience? I
1: agree. And that was well said. I think in healthcare, the secret sauce, if you will, is finding the balance in the training and the relationships. I was also so impressed with how Laura mentored her team. She mentioned that she was losing a lot of team members to life events. And in healthcare, we see that as well, or perhaps it's because of burnout. As a mentor to younger healthcare professionals in my career, I... Found myself wondering how we can create an environment where our team can show up, can learn and grow and be great. It's not just about hiring that individual, it's about investing in the person. And then to take it even further, understanding what feeds them and how they can thrive. So often, I think that we find ourselves in survival mode. It would definitely be nice to look at the entire situation and it was nice to be reminded to go back to those relationships.
2: I feel like we're talking a lot about relationships and we talked about relationships with people, with our team, with our patients, but also Laura highlighted one of the most important relationships, which is how to take care of yourself and your relationship with yourself. And she talked about how she, after she travels these international markets, she makes time to stop and recharge and see the beauty in travel and food and churches, you name it. And I always talk to my girls. I'm sure you do too, Emily, about how we all can fill up our bucket. That's our term for, you know, taking care of ourselves. And for my four-year-old, you know, that may be a scooter ride to the park for Laura, that seems to include finding beauty and the unexpected and being curious and reconnecting with herself and, as I was thinking back about our interviews, Emily, I don't know if you agree with this, but I think we asked so many of our guests how they recharge, especially women who are juggling a lot of different balls in the air. And although we get all these random tips, I don't know that you and I honor the importance of why we asked that question to begin with. And Laura reminded me that at the end of the day, you know, we that question is so important because we have to be able to take care of ourselves so that we can take care of others, whether that's our family, our colleagues or the patients that we're serving.
1: Yes, life is going to throw us curveballs. Perhaps it's the loss of a loved one or changes in relationships or a global pandemic or even a breast cancer diagnosis when you feel like you've done all the things right. I think acknowledging that these things are going to happen, having the tools in our toolbox to deal with them And then to not be afraid to ask for the time to do so is such an important part of our own personal health and well-being.
2: I couldn't agree more. And I want to end with one last thing, and it's about lifelong learning. So we, we believe in the culture of lifelong learning, and we talk about it all the time. And maybe some of our listeners feel like we talk about the spirit of inquiry on the show a little too much. In fact, when Laura said that she had a business that really maybe wasn't for everyone, I laughed because a culture of lifelong learning may not be for everyone either. But if it is, and I hope it is if you're in healthcare, I hope that one of the biggest takeaways of this interview was the power of curiosity. Laura said, if you're not curious, you're not alive. And I loved that. And I hope that this episode reminded you to listen and to learn. And
1: to remember that curiosity can lead to beauty.
2: And whether it's new places or food, learning about cultures and different communities, or even just honoring how people hold hands when they're walking down the street or when they are receiving something as scary as a cancer diagnosis. Being curious about those experiences ultimately informs how we deliver person centered care.
1: Audra, Laura reminded us that our business isn't just
2: about healthcare, it's about the people. 100%. And just like our business isn't about healthcare, we always like to say that this podcast isn't about healthcare.
1: It's about how we learn from the experiences of others to make healthcare better. Thanks so much for learning with us.
2: Rise with Emily and Audra was produced with Resonate Recordings. The original song, Rise, was composed and performed by Alex Crum.
0: All right, this really shouldn't come as a surprise. Knock us down a thousand times, in the mornings we will rise. This really shouldn't come as a surprise. Knock us down a thousand times, in the mornings we will rise. Okay. Okay shouldn't come as a surprise cause every morning we will rise